magnificent morning, folks, and thank you for listening to Her Story Podcast. Her is an acronym for heroic, empowering, and resilient. And this is a self-improvement, self-acceptance, and women empowerment podcast. My main purpose is to encourage, empower, and motivate all women by highlighting their personal stories of triumph over adversity. Each of us has a story. Maybe it's an illness, a financial burden, or a dead-end job. In general, unforeseen circumstances can make you feel isolated or alone. But when you feel like you've hit rock bottom, it doesn't mean that it is the end of your story. It is within the darkest nights we produce the brightest stars. There are women out there who have gone through the very same barriers you're facing today, but they didn't give up. In fact, they use their difficulties to mold them into strong and resilient women. And if they can break through their hardships, so can you. Because you are her, heroic, empowering, and resilient. Great morning. Again, it is Jay Jameson with Her Story Podcast. So excited to feature another amazing and phenomenal woman. This episode is particularly in partnership with She Is Magazine and the HBCU Experience Movement, LLC. This book is so exciting, y'all, because it is the first ever HBCU band edition book, the HBCU band alumni. Now, if this is your first time listening to her story, I want to tell you firsthand that as the host, I am a proud Southern University and A&M College alumni, also an HBCU advocate. And I really want to share the importance of us sharing and collecting our stories. The overall focus of Her Story podcast is to share and highlight the stories of women of color and how they have turned different um, stories of adversity into triumph. Again, HER is an acronym for heroic, empowering, and resilient. And I am excited to share this magnificent story we have today featuring Dr. Kelly Hall. Also known as a Jill of all trades, early in life, she was able to thrive in a variety of areas, including academics, athletics, and the arts. She is a proud graduate of North Carolina A&T University, and in fact, is also a best-selling author, being one of the first featured writers in the HBCU Experience Anthology, the North Carolina A&T State University Edition. She is currently in the process of publishing her first memoir to be featured summer 2021. And Dr. Hall is also the first female drum major in the blue and gold marching machine band's history. Dr. Hall, welcome to Her Story Podcast. How are you? Thank you. I am honored to be here. I am good. I am booked and blessed and ready to go. <laughs> yes, yes. Booked and blessed. I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> can you tell the audience just a little bit of who you are, you know, outside of that bio? Um, there's a lot of me, actually. Um, <laughs> so I am actually an emergency physician currently working in urgent care. So I am working on front lines in this COVID battle. Get your vaccines. Um, I am a dance studio owner and a dancer as well. Um, NC Dance District Incorporated is the uh, studio that I own, founded by former NBA dancer Anna O'Boise. We teamed up. I took over so that she can do some production things. So I am now a professional dancer slash studio owner as well. I've been doing that since um, October 2019. Uh, I am also um, the, like you said, a best-selling author featured in the first edition of the HBCU um, Experience Anthology. And yes, my memoir should be coming out in June. So that will be the third bestseller because this 
uh, marching band anthology is going to be the second bestseller. <laughs> yes, yes. Claiming it all. So uh, there you have it, folks. Yes. She is definitely a Jack, a Jill, excuse me, a Jill of all trades. And um, it's a part of so many different initiatives, so many positive things that brings light to our community and so many positive, positive things as it connects to Black women in leadership. And so I have to ask, you know, um, with you attending North Carolina A&T and being an HBCU advocate, can you just share your experience in the band and when were you introduced to music at what age? So um, I actually was Aggie born, Aggie bred. My parents both went to A&T. Um, I actually have three uncles that went to A&T and then eventually uh, my sisters and I all followed, and then I have another cousin that went there. Um, so I've been exposed to HBCU culture in general um, since birth. And I played um, I played the saxophone. I started playing in the sixth grade, and that is because my father was also in the band. So he played saxophone, and I wanted to be, to be like my dad, essentially. My uncle um, actually was in the band as well, and he played trumpet. Um, so, yeah, I've actually been watching the Blue and Gold Marching Machine as long as I can remember. And it was such an important part of me growing up just because um, the culture, there's nothing like it. So... Um, it's all, I won't say it's all I knew because I did, I was exposed to Chapel Hill and Duke and did summer programs there and what have you, but there was always just a feeling of home whenever I was on an HBCU campus, regardless of what it was, um, because I have, uh, family members that went to FAMU and Southern, so we're just an HBCU family in general. Yes, and I can definitely connect. It's just something about having that tradition and history and family that's connected with attending HBCUs. Um, you know, I'm originally yeah. from Napoleonville, Louisiana, which is a very rural town. Um, and I, I know you uh, come from. I've never heard of that. Right. <laughs> I was like, look, um, most folks, when they think about Louisiana, they only think about, oh, New Orleans or Baton Rouge. Some folks, because of right. Southern University and LSU, I'm like, well, no, I'm from the Polyville. I'm right in the middle, I'm right in the center. Um, but, you know, uh, being gotcha. introduced to that HBCU experience was something I experienced at a very early age as well. Three years old was my first Bayou Classic. And, you know, I, I, often, yeah. <laughs> I often joke, uh, you know, from time to time when folks ask, like, are you going to the classic this year? I'm like, I am the Bayou Classic. What are you talking about? Of course, I'm going to be at the Listen, Bayou Classic. That is me and homecoming, the greatest homecoming yes. on earth. That is me. There is no Jiho without me. I mean, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> And so I love it. I love when, um, you know, especially when alumni really, really share that love and connection to their experiences. And so I have to ask you about that experience being the first female drum major in the band's history. Um, this is very, it's, it's major. I'm very excited to have you featured on this podcast. Could you just tell me what that experience was like and how that band experience being the first female drum major, being able to, to um, break different barriers and open the door for other women to come after you. How has that really shaped you into the woman that you are today? Well, what's funny is that I never even realized that I was the first female drum major when it happened. Um, although I never recalled seeing a female drum major at A&T, you know, I'm like, I mean, well, how long has the band been in existence? You know, there's got to be a female somewhere. 
So um, when it actually happened and someone told me that I was the first, I was like, you got to be kidding me. And really didn't even realize the, the gravity of the situation until I had graduated. But um, the funny thing is, so because I have been um, watching the band since childhood, um, I wanted to be drum major when I was a teenager, I want to say, is when I first, um, you know, got the, the, the feel for it. So I actually saw legendary uh, drum major Anthony Chris, who is one of my mentors, and he came out of a helicopter, Homecoming 1993, and it was like filmed on BT and everything. And that was when I was like, oh, I want to be him. Because when he came on the field, like the crowd went wild. It was crazy. And from that point on, I was like, yep, that's what I want to do. And in high school, you always see female drum majors. It's not a big deal. So I did become drum major in high school, my junior and senior year. And then when I got to A&T, um, I pledged uh, the band sorority, Tau Beta Sigma. And my sophomore year, the last game of the year was against South Carolina State. And they had a female drum major at that time. And so I was hanging around with my sorority sisters at Tau Beta Sigma, and we were um, joking around with the band director at that time, Dr. Johnny B. Hodge. And I said, so, Doc, when are we going to get a female drum major? And he said, never, as long as I'm band director. And I was like, wow. wow are you <laughs> like, yeah. so, you know, initially it was a, a, a big no. And so, I mean, it was fine. Um, I loved being in the band. I loved being part of Top 8 Sigma. So even though I was disappointed, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to medical school anyway. And so who needs all that responsibility? So then jumped to band camp in 1998, summer 1998. First day of band camp, we are um, getting ready to do a uh, lineup and march to the practice field. And I'm in the back with the saxophones. We're at attention. And the assistant band director at that time and now current band director, um, Dr. Kenneth Ruff, he came to the back of the band and grabbed my horn grabbed my arm, and then he basically dragged me to the front of the band, put me in line with the other three drum majors at the time, and said, give my drum major some competition. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, what? <laughs> and so I'm looking at the band, and they're looking at me like, yo, is this happening? And everyone just started smiling because, you know, at that time, I'd been in the band for two years. I, I marched my entire four years um, at A&T. And so, of course, you know, I was, because I was in the band sorority, everyone knows me as a performer. We did step shows, what have you, and uh, love to dance, have been a dancer forever. So they were just as excited as I was because they knew that I could do it. Like, it wasn't a question. And, um, yeah, then, like, later on in band camp, one of the percussionists, Terrell, he said, you know, you're the first, right? And I'm like, the first what? He's like, the first female drum major. Like, you got to be kidding me. Like, no way. And from that moment on, like, it just became this thing. But because social media wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't there, out there at the time, I didn't get all the, I guess, the publicity that most people would. Of course, people at that time knew that I was the first female drum major. But then, you know, when you get to the 2000s and the 2010s and people see me, and they didn't know that I was the first. And then suddenly I started telling the story, you know, like, hey, I was the first. Like, I'm kind of like, you know, a, a part of history. And so now within the past, like, two or three years, suddenly it's like I'm becoming popular all over again. So it's, it's 
crazy, but I remember when the uh, Corey, she was the first female drummer at FAMU, 2018, I believe it was. Um, I sent her a shout out when I found out about it. And she's also a Delta and Tabe to Sigma like me. So we instantly connected, but I put a little picture up of both of us as, you know, first female drum majors and sent her congratulations. And like everyone in the HBCU marching band world loved it. And um, to this day, we're actually, um, we communicate. I have her phone number and what have you, contact information. But yeah, like I, whenever I see a female drum major, I try to extend, um, you know, congratulations because there aren't that many out there even to this day. But I did it before it was even cool. <laughs> right, right. But no, I think it's, you know, it's important, again, that even your story and the history that's connected with it is being highlighted again so that young girls who aspire to be a part of the band, who aspire to be a female drum major, they can see that it's possible. Even when faced with, you know, that won't happen under my tenure, which was basically what was told to you. And it turned around that you actually became the drum major. Um, So with that being said, you know, like, what advice would you give a young lady who is maybe simply just interested in music or interested in uh, trying out for an HBCU band? What words of advice would you give them? Well, you know, as far as being in the band itself is just be your best self and, um, you know, make sure you rehearse and practice because um, especially at a like it's competitive these days. Like suddenly, um, you know, I think, Probably it started back with Drumline and then, you know, Beyonce highlighted HBCU marching band culture. And so um, it's a thing that people aspire to do, you know, back, uh, I guess, the predominantly white institutions, they're considered band nerds. uh, But at our institutions, we're like, you know, pillars of the campus community. Um, It's seen as as, as a major thing and, and something to applaud. Um, But especially if you're trying to be a drum major, the thing is, it's still not a common thing. Um, it's happening more, but because the drum major role is seen as, as masculine, I think that's one of the major regions and tr- tradition as well. Um, traditionally, drum majors are men. So unfortunately, women, if you want to be drum majors, you have to be twice as good if not three times as good as the guys. And Unfortunately, we're not afforded the opportunity to make mistakes like the guys may be able to. So um, you're instantly, it's like each one of these things is different. You're instantly seen as different when people realize you're a female. And so if you mess up, it's going to be, oh, the girl messed up. It's not going to be the drum major messed up. So my advice is to be better than the guys and to believe that you can actually do it and don't let people get in your head and make you feel like you're not worthy or you're not as good because you are. And women, I mean, Beyonce said it best, we run the world. Right. <laughs> we definitely do run the world. And, you know, often when someone tells me that I can't do something, that makes me work even harder to prove them different, right? Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. Yes. I've been told no a lot of times. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I came into the band, when I came into um, my freshman year at A&T, my professor, one of my um, advisors, he said, so so you're in the marching band? And I said, yeah. He said, well, you know you're going to have to quit the band, right? I'm like, I mean, this is like, he hasn't even met me really well. And you're telling me already day one that I'm going to have to quit the band. Like, what do you mean? 
And he was like, well, they practice too long. So if you want to get into medical school, then you're going to have to quit the band. And at that time, I was stubborn enough. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like my dad. My, like you just said, if you're going to tell me no, I'm going to show you that I can do it just to prove you wrong because I like to be right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so when you said that, I was like, well, you don't even know me. And I'm pretty sure I can handle both of them. And if I can't, then I'll quit. But until then, I'm not going to go into it thinking that I can't do it. And so I'm glad that I was just, God put that fire in me in certain elements and at certain times. Um, it's almost like I, I'm not even saying it myself. It's like I'm possessed and the words come out of my mouth before I can take them back. So um, I always knew that, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter what you say I can do. It all, only matters what I say I can do and what I believe. And, and God instilled that into me early. Yes. And when you, um, when you said, you know, when I'm, um, grateful that God put the, the fire in me to feel this way, I felt that when you really said that, you know, it's, it's always about our God given talents and purpose in using these things and utilizing them in the most positive light. Right. And, um, yeah. I yeah. think that you're extremely blessed for one because this area of music and the band is not the only layer of Dr. Kelly, right? You're, you're um, uh, a oh, doctor. <laughs> you're a doctor. You're an entrepreneur. You're an author. There is so much that you have going on and it's so amazing. And even at a young age, okay, at six, you were introduced to music, but at an even earlier age, your calling was to be a doctor. So when you yeah. were able, to realize that you are interested in this. I'm sure you've worked hard um, towards this goal as well. But how are you able to balance so much that you have going on? And I'm asking this because as Black women, um, you know, we often push ourselves, you know, almost until we run dry, right? And we stop and we forget about focusing on self-care. And um, a woman who is a leader in so many different things, I know there is some type of self-care regime or something that you, um, you do to focus on self. Do you mind sharing that with others? So that's, that's, that's a layered question. Um, <laughs> so how do I balance everything? Um, well, I, I kind of joke around. I mean, it's not really a joking sort of matter, but I joke around a lot of times and say I'm so ADHD that I just have to have multiple things going on in order for me to stay focused and be productive because um, I, I I literally do not sit still very well. And people will tell you all the time, like, it's, it's I'm just a bundle of energy. Like, I am the Energizer Bunny, for real, for real. Uh, when I was younger, it was natural. Now it's caffeinated. Because if you talk to me before I've had some caffeine and I'm just waking up, I'm not going to be the same person. So Same, same. <laughs> but, uh, I learned, <laughs> listen, that, I, that caffeine is serious. Uh, but I, I learned early because so in you know elementary school, I was, uh, or middle school, I'll say, I was an athlete as well. So, I mean, I played basketball, I ran track, I played volleyball in high school, um, and then, of course, marching band in high school. But what was funny is that um, at the time, because I lived in, in a rural, I lived in a rural area um, as well, and the cheerleaders, they needed some numbers. And I was already playing basketball for the girls' team, but um, they were 
somebody approached me and said, well, if you want to cheer, you know, we could use you as well. And I was like, well, sure, why not? So I literally would play basketball for, you know, the girls team, go in the locker room, change clothes, put on a cheerleading outfit, and then cheer for the varsity boys. So (laughs) I was always doing something. And being able to juggle all that while maintaining scholastic excellence um, helped me in college because in college I was still, I wasn't doing all the athletic things that I um, used to do. I initially thought I was going to run track, but band is really an all year sort of thing, even though um, marching band is more prominent in the fall. So I learned in college how to juggle everything. And then being in the sorority and I was in step shows, so I would, go to band practice. Band practice could be anywhere from like five to 10. And then we have a step show that we have to rehearse for. So uh, step practice would be at midnight. And I would typically study during the day so that I can do all the activities at night. So every minute of my day always had a purpose. And I mean, even power naps were built in. So I just learned early on how to um, balance multiple things and how to juggle multiple things. So that just kind of carried on in life. Now, as far as the self-care portion, I will be honest and say that I do not do it as much as I should. Um, So that's one thing. Um, Actually, my social media marketer, who's like my right-hand woman at the studio, she told me, she said, you need to actually take a vacation. Like, we can handle the studio, go and do something. But the thing is, the studio is so fun to me. It's like a social, um, it's almost like a sorority fraternity. We just get in here and enjoy each other's company, and we can't leave. It's like we'll be at the studio at 12 and 1 o'clock in the morning, especially with my business partner. We'll just, like, um, vibe and brainstorm and dream and just imagine what we're going to do with the company. And before you know it, it's two in the morning. And I'm like, ooh, I got a husband I got to go home to. Um, <laughs> but he's gotten used to the fact that I'm not home um, at most, uh, you know, a lot at night uh, because of the studio. So he's actually kind of used to it. But um, I actually did plan a whole spa day for myself this upcoming Friday um, because I've been doing a lot of, you know, these interviews for the book and then the studio's going on and then I'm working on my memoir and not to mention the day job of urgent care. So um, I finally was like, okay, I'm going to actually book a day at the spa and like unplug. But I have not taken an actual vacation because of COVID, of course, um, since like 2019, which we usually, my husband and I usually would do a week at an island somewhere. And because I don't want to leave the country and then something drastic happened and they'd be like, well, um, we're not flying people back in because we're locking down the, the country. I will not leave this country until <laughs> I'm sure that I can get back in. So I'm going to actually book a, like a long weekend at maybe um, Charleston or some, some beach somewhere, but it's not what I would typically like. It's basically settling. But I know that I need to stop and turn the cell phone off and just, breathe and water actually helps me do that so anytime I'm around water then I can actually do that so I'm not the best when it comes to self-care but it's just because I a lot of times find it hard to not do something (laughs) and that's just because I'm always doing something 
Well, yeah, and and again, too, I'm I'm good about balancing, but not good about self-care as much. (laughs) Right. But I was about to say, you know, it seems like you really have purpose and passion connected to every single thing that you do. So often when you have that purpose and passion, it doesn't feel like work or it doesn't feel like you're exhausting a lot of energy because you're so passionate about it. And um, the funny thing is, well, uh, when you mentioned, you know, getting caught up in the studio, I remember it took me back to college because Lord knows I haven't danced in anything since college. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it made me think about step team practice. And we would always joke like, you know, like step team is a sorority inside of a sorority. Right. And it's just like this, yes, so yes. many stories and things. But you made so many memories in within step team yes. practice as well so it's just like the time literally will fly by so yeah we were up practicing yes. to like two three o'clock in the morning but it was so much memories you know and it was just that that feeling of being Fun. able to help each other right because we have to be on one accord we're gonna have to win you know right so uh, again when when you're right. doing something that you love at times it doesn't necessarily feel like work but I'm I'm like you where I'm at the point where I've kind of just been nonstop since 2019. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. the work that I do is connected a lot to social justice work and civic engagement and activism. So I'm really passionate about it. But at times it, it, I do exhaust a lot of energy, not because I'm not passionate about it, but it drains and it pulls from me. But in two weeks, I will be going to Miami and uh, I always yeah, joke yeah. about it. I'm like, look, phone will be on. Do not disturb. Do not bother me because I need these four days, Jesus. I need them. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, you do. And, and it's hard to unplug sometimes, but it's yeah. best but I, And I think, it, you know, it's important too that as women, we realize it and we know certain things that we need to work on. So as long as we are able to realize it, and figure things out, then we're still able to produce to the best of our ability with the various projects that we're holding as well, right? Right. Yeah. And and you, you said something, you know, about purpose. And that's the interesting thing is that, you know, God has always given me my purpose. Even before I knew that it was God, I knew I was supposed to do something. So the whole medicine thing, that started at the age of two. What does a two-year-old know about being a doctor? I don't know. But I wanted to be a doctor since the age of two is what my mom tells me. And, you know, so I worked so hard um, to get there. But once I got to close to 40, um, I I felt my purpose kind of shifting. Like I no longer enjoyed the adrenaline rush of saving people's lives in the emergency department. It started to kind of wear on me. And the emergency department is a is a um, is a stressful place anyway. And so I actually, you know, transitioned out of emergency medicine into urgent care, but, um, and then found, rediscovered my love of dance. Like I always knew that I loved to dance, but suddenly I was passionate about it. It was more than just, oh, this is something for me to do. This is fun. Um, this is a way to exercise and, you know, without exercising because I can't stand going to a gym. But <laughs> once I was in the studio, I can't, it's horrible. Um, once I was in the studio and once I connected with my business partner, it, it suddenly made sense. And then she actually had was going to move to L.A. and actually did move out to L.A. for a couple of months. And um, so she shut down the studio. And I was like, this is like 
somebody needs to keep the studio open, but I'm a full-time doctor. I can't do it because she was 24-7 studio, and that was her thing, dance and um, choreography, and she did it literally all day, every day. And so I'm like, well, I can't do that because that's her number one job. My number one job right now is medicine. How can I open a studio? And it, it, it hit me one day, you know, it's like God said, you need to take over the studio. And I was like, okay, well, let me just, I, I can't do this without, without Anna. I'm, if I'm going to do it, I need her brand because she had already established a brand for nine plus years at that point, because the dance district brand has been there since 2011. And so I texted her and said, you know, this is going to sound crazy, but I sort of want you to mentor me. And she's actually younger than me. She's seven years younger than me. So for me, as a top dog, you know, physician telling everyone what to do, me knowing that I needed someone to guide me, I mean, that's an important thing in itself is realizing that it doesn't matter how educated you are or, you know, how, how you're seen. You, too, may need somebody to pour into you and to tell you how to do things. And so I texted her and said, hey, so – I'm thinking I want to open up a studio, um, but I, I don't know anything about it. Would you mentor me? And Anna's the kind of person, she has so many different businesses herself. She has like five, six different businesses. Um, so if you text her, she may not answer for like eight hours or two days. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. You know, it's like whatever. Um, but within 10 minutes, she texted me back and said, um, what are you doing Thursday? And it's crazy because we weren't even that close then because I literally met her in 2018 and this is 2019 and we bonded so quickly. Um, and that's nothing but God because we are polar opposites as far as what our superficial, you know, titles are and who we are, but we're so alike behind the scenes. And, um, once she started mentoring me and I, I was going to take over the studio, um, it was like, this is what I want to do. This is what is fun. This is what I could do 24-7 and it not feel like a job. So um, my purpose is actually shifting. I learned this from um, an Oprah Winfrey book, The Path Made Clear. I think that's the name of it. It knows The Path Made. I think that's it. But um, Anna actually had me read it, my business partner, and or actually listened to it because I wasn't, I didn't have time to read it at that time because I was working on my memoir. But um, <laughs> in it was different people would listen. <laughs> it was different people, just basically different leaders in their fields, basically giving their take on, you know, how thing, how, how they came to be or what happened. And one person said, sometimes your purpose shifts. And I think we have this misconception that when you um, are told to do something or have a desire to do something, then that's as far as like a career, then that's the only thing you're going to do for multiple years. And everything that you do is going to be built around that career. But at certain times, you just don't want to do that anymore. And it was my calling to save lives in medicine. But now with the studio, I think that the thing that people love about the studio is that it's so warm and environment and, um, and, and welcoming and encouraging. And that's, part of the dance district experience. It's not only about the steps. And actually, it's not really about the steps, although we do train from beginners to professionals. But it's more so about you setting a goal, you meeting it, and you finding your best self. 
And people have told me that, you know, they're so glad that they met me through the studio um, and that, you know, it's such a great place because they feel like they can do anything just by being here and just by being encouraged. So now my passion um, and my uh, joy of dancing is actually helping to encourage other people and save lives that way because you never know who walks through the door. Some people have had miscarriages or had deaths in the family and you don't know it because they come in and even though you sense something is wrong, but by the time they leave here, they have a smile on their face. They feel so much better. And so I'm actually helping people and saving people's lives in this studio more so from a mental health aspect at this point. So that's just my long way of saying your purpose can change and just go with it. (laughs) But no, I I thoroughly um, enjoyed this entire interview, Dr. Kelly, because one, I think what stuck out to me the most is that, you know, God really has his hand on you as it connects to whatever, um, what, whatever you decide to do within your life, you know, as it relates to the arts or academics, your experiences with businesses, and it's okay to pivot and to change and to be innovative and simply do what you love to do as it connects to, you know, giving back and supporting other people. And I think you've done all of those things and you will continuously, um, um, reach further heights in, in your career and whatever you choose to do. Um, and I mean, there you have it, folks. Doc, Dr. Hall is amazing. I, I enjoyed this interview. Um, I want listeners for sure to be able to look out for the HBCU Band Alumni Edition. Um, this is a, a, a woman who is definitely a leader and very multifaceted. So I know that your chapter will definitely provide depth and insight and encouragement to other women. I'm also excited to uh, be on the lookout for the release of your first memoir as as well in June of 2021. So it's so many different amazing things that you have going on. Um, How are people able to connect with you? Do you have any social media handles? Do I? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Both So on Facebook, and Facebook is kind of more of my um, friends and family sort of page, but, um, you know, if, if you have some sort of affiliation with something I'm involved in, nine times out of ten, I probably will accept your, your friend request. But on Facebook, I'm Kelly Worth Hall. On Twitter, which I don't use as much, but I am on there um, because that's what a lot of the A&T students use, and I mentor A&T students, so I try to do what they do, but... I am Aggie Diva Doc on there. Um, in, on Instagram, that's my whole personality and my, this is who I am, like it or not. So I am Kelly, don't forget the E. That is Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y-E-D-O-N-T, the number four, get, G-E-T, underscore, the underscore E. Um, I have my own website, which is www.drkellywhall.com, B-R-K-E-L-L-Y-E-W-H-A-L-L.com. There's NC Dance District's website, which I'm on there. So that's www.ncdancedistrict.com. And yeah, that is all my parts. <laughs> yes, yes. Follow, follow uh, NC Dance District on Instagram as well, because you'll see dance videos of our studio and some of me dancing. And we're NC Dance District on Facebook and YouTube as well. 
Awesome. So folks, I mean, there you have it. And, you know, in closing, always remember that your story is not solely for you and it's meant to be shared with other women and to provide hope to those facing similar situations, you know, and in short, exactly. in short, you know, you, you definitely don't have to be afraid to share your story. I'm so glad that um, you were able to provide real in-depth information, right? It's one thing to, to tell your story, but you provided just, you know, full context of different things, different hurdles, different things you were able to still do and accomplish despite some obstacles. So, you know, you definitely don't have to be afraid to share your story and always remember that you're a victor and you are a winner. You are her, heroic, empowering, and yes. resilient, okay? So folks, exactly. if you, if, you said it <laughs> thank you. If you were empowered in any way by Dr. Kelly's story, please follow her story on Instagram at her story underscore podcast. Also on Facebook at her story podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Play, and we're also on SoundCloud. And again, this is Jay Jameson, and we are out.